We return to Matthew chapter 1 this morning, having completed the verse-by-verse exegesis of the chapter, but we'd like to return this morning, chapter 1, verse 22 through verse 23. Matthew 1, 22, 23, and we'll read ultimately verse 24 eventually. 22, now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet singing, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Father, this morning we're glad to return to the familiar, it seems every holiday season, as Christmas rolls around, our minds at some point are introduced by way of Christmas carol or Bible preaching or some devotional read of this glorious name associated with Messiah, namely Emmanuel, God with us. As we see that name mentioned of Matthew In the opening of his gospel presentation of Jesus Christ, we are glad today to give fitting background and history to the reference and the pattern that will be so important for us as we continue to study together on Lord's Day mornings. Thank you for each one that is here. We ask your blessing upon us as we pick up on the text, as we are in between chapter 1 and chapter 2 of the book of Matthew. We ask that your hand would be upon us. Thank you again for this opportunity. We pray today in Jesus' name and for his blessed sake. Amen. The people that live in Elto are kind of funny. We have a number of older people that every morning get up and go for a walk in order to improve their respiratory functionality, in order to encourage their health. And I can appreciate people that make an effort in discipline in order to be in good health. The thing that surprises me, though, is the two older people that walk together every single morning. If I get up and go early to the office, I will see them, often greet them, as I'm making my way to the church office. They're walking by together. The thing that surprises me is that with every step they take, they smoke. Now, this is not a Baptist message about smoking. I don't, I don't care about that. But the thing that does bother me is the fact that on a couple of occasions, those two guys have been puffing on their weeds, and they drop them right at the end of my driveway. And there's something about two recently lit cigarette butts at the end of my driveway that connects directly to the prophecy of the virgin birth. You going to be with me this morning? (laughs) I hope so. Repeatedly, God said things to the Hebrew prophets like, quote, surely as I have thought, so shall it come to pass. As I have purposed, so shall it it stand. If God said it, that's it. God said, Behold, the former things are come to pass, and the new things do I declare before they spring forth. I tell you 
of them. Those are the kind of words that God spoke to the prophet. God not only knows all, he controls all, he makes all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to his heavenly purpose. Today, we have the blessed occasion to see the Old Testament prophecy concerning a virgin birth as ultimately fulfilled in the person of Jesus, who is called Messiah, Jesus who is called the Christ, as indicated by the Lord's Apostle Matthew. Having completed our verse-by-verse study of Matthew chapter 1, in which we found the genealogy of King Jesus, and then the New Testament history of how God became a man, we pause now this morning to note that which will be a pattern in our study of Matthew's gospel, namely, Matthew will cite time and again some Old Testament prophecy, and then will declare that prophecy's fulfillment in Jesus the Christ. Matthew chapter 20, or Matthew chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, quotes the familiar prophecy of Isaiah 7, 14. A virgin shall conceive. Now this morning, we want you to understand and see once again the blessedness of connection between the Old Testament promise and prophecy and the unique expression of declared fulfillment in Jesus Christ. And we'll see that by comparing Matthew chapter 1 with Isaiah chapter 7. So please join me quickly in Isaiah chapter 7 and follow along as I read for you the aspect of 16 verses from Isaiah chapter 7. And it came to pass in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, the king of Judah, that Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramaliah, king of Israel, went up towards Jerusalem to war against it, but could not prevail against it. And it was told the house of David, saying, Syria is confederate with Ephraim, And his heart, Ahaz's heart, was moved, and the heart of the people, as trees of the wood, are moved with the wind. Last night, we saw that. I mean, if you got up to see it, you saw it. Some of you slept like babies right through of it. Some of you hardly slept at all last night. But nonetheless, I saw the trees moving in the wind. And uh, the heart of Ahaz was moving like that. And the people of Judah's heart was moving like that as uh, the northern tribes that had split from the southern tribes in Israel, Israel proper, Judah, kingdom of Israel, kingdom of Judah, they all both were Israel, then one was Israel, and then one became Judah. You get it? Oh, yeah. And then uh, Israel, that is Israel, and Judah, that is Israel, but it's not Judah, but it's not Israel anymore. Uh, The two uh, nations split uh, apart from each other, and the northern tribes go in confederation or they make an alliance with Syria. And Syria and Israel are now postured against Judah. And so the heart of the king of Judah, Ahaz, troubled heart. The heart of the people of Judah, troubled heart. Verse 3, Then said the Lord unto Isaiah, Go forth now to meet Ahaz, thou and Shirhashab thy son. That's kind of a strange instruction because he's just a little boy. 
If he were here today, he'd be in our nursery. We would say he's not even yet a toddler. I would assume he's walking. But beyond that, probably not talking too much. And yet the prophet of God is given the instruction to take his son, Shir Hashab, the J is silent but rough, Hashab, Shir Hashab, he's to take him uh, with him as he goes and meets the king. Take Shir Hashab thy son at the end of the conduit of the upper pool of the highway of the fuller's field. Verse 4, and say unto him, Take heed, be quiet, fear not, neither be faint-hearted. For the two tails of these cigarette butts, there it is, for the two tails of these smoking firebrands, for the fierce anger of Rezin with Syria and the son of Ramalia, because Syria and Ephraim and the son of Ramalia have taken evil counsel against thee, saying, Let us go up against Judah and vex it. Let us make a breach therefore therein for us and set a king in the midst of it, even the son of Tabeel. Or in other words, Ahaz, they're plotting that you're going to take you out and they're going to set up a puppet president. And the puppet president they're going to set up is the son of Tabeel. And so that's what the Syrians in confederation with the Israelis to the north, plan to do in Judah to the south. That's what they plan to do. Verse 7, Thus saith the Lord God, It shall not stand, neither shall it come to pass. Who do you think is going to win here? For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is resin. And within threescore and five years shall Ephraim be broken, that it be not a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is Ramalia's son. If ye, Ahaz, singular, if ye, Ahaz, will not believe, surely ye, Ahaz, shall not be established. Moreover, the word of the Lord, or the Lord spake again unto Ahaz, saying, Ask thee a sign of the Lord thy God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, neither will I tempt the Lord. And he said, and Isaiah said, Hear ye now, O house of David, is it a small thing for you to weary men? But will ye weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and thou shalt call his name Emmanuel. Butter and honey shall he eat, that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land that thou abhorrest shall be forsaken of both her cigarette butts, of both her kings. It's an amazing prophecy. It's just simply an amazing prophecy. 700 years 
before the birth of Jesus Christ, the prophet Isaiah ministers to the kingdom of Judah after the national split, north and south. We're going to use seven key words in this Old Testament prophecy to walk us through this ancient virgin birth prophecy uh, uh, that comes to the ears of Ahaz by the lips of Isaiah the prophet as from God in a period of war and rumors of war. Matthew is going to take this prophecy from Isaiah and say that it was specifically and finally fulfilled in the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, how specifically it is to be fulfilled is a very interesting thing. And that's the thing that we will chase this morning together in this Old Testament text before we return to Matthew and wrap up the New Testament, Matthew chapter 1. We begin with the first key word, scare. The first key word is scare. Ahaz, the king of Judah, had been informed of an alliance that had been formed between the northern tribes of Israel and Syria that were in that day named Aram. The news that troops under Rezin were deployed within the borders of Israel to the north sent shockwaves through Judah. It'd be like the Russians uh, building up their army just outside the border of Ukraine. It would be the same kind of shock that would come if this morning we woke up and somebody said that uh, the entire uh, Russian Navy was now off the eastern coast of the United States of America. Uh, Shockwaves were sent through Judah because of the positioning of troops just on the other side of the border, within the border of the northern kingdom, and uh, facing, as it were, uh, the southern kingdom. The plan, as we said, of the north in confederation with Syria was to, po- to depose Ahaz and replace him with the son of Tabeel, as referenced in verse 6. If you look at verse 2, Isaiah 7, 2, uh, and the word his, uh, you have a clear reference here to the king's heart being moved. And the heart of the citizens of Judah was overtaken with fear. The fear being described as trees in a woods that are blown back and forth with a tempest. As Elvis might sing it, Judah was all shook up as a result of the fear that gripped their soul with the posturing of hostile armies from two different nations to the north. Those people were scared. And Isaiah 7 opens with the scare. And then, of course, we have the second key word, which is the word sent. That's the word of missions. And here we have Isaiah the missionary. Verse 3, then the Lord said unto Isaiah, Go forth now to meet Ahaz. What are the words of missionaries? Go forth. What is the word of missions? Send. And here you have Isaiah, God's prophet, sent. And as we noted, strangely, along with his son, to go and meet Ahaz, 
to deliver to the king of Judah the good news of God's protection. God is going to protect the little bitty nation of Judah from her bigger brothers to the north in confederation with the Syrians. God is going to protect Judah. And Isaiah gets to bear the good news, or we might say the Old Testament gospel, the good news of God's protection uh, before the king of Judah. Uh, the message to the king from the king of kings, verse 4, is, King, you listen to God, be quiet in your soul, and don't be afraid. God said to the king, don't lack any courage, for the two cigarette butts are going to soon smoke out and be forever trashed. Don't worry about the two cigarette butts at the end of the driveway. Now, just to make it clear, I didn't leave them out there as a testimony to the neighbors that the preacher had gone wild. I picked them up and threw them away, just like I do the beer cans after some weekends. Around here, yes, I've even found beer cans in front of the two glass double doors of the church on a Sunday morning as I come over to preach. But I promise you, those beers were not partaken of by this preacher. But nonetheless, we live in a world, have you noticed? They don't know what we know, have you noticed? They don't believe what we believe, have you noticed? And we're here for them. We're here for them. We're here for them as a testimony of the light of the gospel to people that prove every single day in Elto how badly they need that gospel of Jesus Christ you and I love and adore and have embraced. Amen? The truth of the power of alliance to the north, these adversaries, to be brought down to nothing but the butt is part of the prophecy here of virgin birth. Very few people know that, but now you do if you didn't before. It appears that God, as we said, had Isaiah take his young toddler son as an object lesson. Uh, his name, Shir Hashab, means, interestingly, a remnant shall return. You translate the name Shir Hashab, and it translates as a remnant shall return. It speaks of God's faithful people. And so God has his prophet Isaiah take his kid, who was named God's faithful people, to the king to give indication of where the eye of God is in a time of war and rumor of war. Where is the eye of God this morning in the United States of America? Biblically, no doubt to the answer of that. God's eye is upon his faithful people. God's eyes are on us. And so when we gather to worship, we worship knowing that God is watching us and listening to us and responding to our prayers. It's, it's terribly encouraging. I mean, even as a Baptist, it's hard not to smile when you think about these kind of things. The best of war strategy hammered out by the geniuses to the north shall not stand, says God, verse 7. So Isaiah is sent to tell the king that news. Well, you'd think the king would be happy. You'd think the king would say, oh, <laughs> wonderful. But uh, uh, our third word is secure. 
Ahaz was to be secured before God on the basis of his faith. Ahaz must have faith in God. Without faith, it would be impossible to please God. Now listen, be careful not to hear what I didn't say. I did not say that God said the protection of Judah was connected to the faith of King Ahaz. That's not what I'm saying. Verse 9 is very clear. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is Ramalia's son. If ye, Ahaz, will not believe, if you will not exercise your faith in God's protection now, surely ye shall not be sustained. Ye shall not be established. The way it was going to work was like this. The king was to exercise his faith in God to secure his own kingship over that which God would preserve. God would preserve it unconditionally. God had already made up his mind that Judah would stand and continue to stand in spite of the threat to the north. Yet, Ahaz is given opportunity to exercise his faith, as did Abraham, as did Moses, as did David before him. He is given indication uh, to exercise his faith in God and God's promise. And if he does exercise his faith in God's promise, uh, then his kingdom, his rule over Judah, will be secured. But if he does not believe in God's promise, then, of course, uh, his rule would not be preserved. And so you have to make a, a significant distinction there between God's unconditional promise relative to the security of the nation of Judah and, uh, and God's conditional promise as cited and stated before King Ahaz. Uh, Ahaz believed in God. Ahaz did not believe God. I think that's where a lot of evangelical professing Christians are. Ahaz believed in God. He believed there was one. He believed in Yahweh. Ahaz believed in the one true God of heaven and earth. He believed in God. But he didn't believe God. You see, Abraham didn't just believe in God. He believed God. Moses didn't just believe in God. He believed God. David just didn't believe in God. He believed God. Ahaz here has an Abrahamic moment. He has a moment in which he who believes in God can demonstrate for the nation that he believes God. And so we read, verse 10, that uh, uh, the Lord speaks Furtherly to Ahaz, saying, Ask thee a sign of the Lord, thy God, notice thy God, ask it either in the depth or in the height above. So Isaiah communicates uh, to the aspect of this king uh, his opportunity for a sign. 
uh, to commend his faith, to encourage his faith, to bolster his confidence in God. He can ask for something in the depths. I would take that word to have something to do with the sea. You can ask for some kind of a spectacular thing relative to uh, uh, the sea. Or you can ask God for some kind of a spectacular sign, miraculous sign in the heavens. Uh, King Ahaz, you can ask God for something beneath your feet or above your head. You can ask God for a sign, a miraculous sign, and God will grant you what you ask for uh, uh, because he wants to commend you, he wants to encourage you, he wants to strengthen you in your faith of him. And so Ahaz responds to that, but Ahaz said, I will not ask. That didn't sound too good. And then he says, neither will I tempt the Lord. Oh, 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 okay, okay, I got it now. Uh, Ahaz, uh, he, he didn't think God had anything to prove to him. And so uh, he says to God, no, don't bother. Don't bother with any sign in the sea. Don't bother any sign in the, in the air. Don't bother with a sign, God, to commend my faith. Why didn't King Ahaz care about a sign in the depths or a sign from the heights from God? Why did he not care about it? Well, because he didn't care about God. That verse really translates to our understanding that King Ahaz did not believe God. He didn't care. He thinks that the, uh, uh, the record of history is written against him, and he's always resigned himself, as it were, uh, to step aside when the son of Tabeel is uh, given charge as a result of the great power of Syria and Israel to the north. He believes more in the power of Syria and, uh, and Israel to the north, then he believes in the power of God. And so he says what a lot of people say when they believe in God, but they don't believe God. They just give some little religious quirk, some little uh, religious T-shirt thing flipped at you so that you walk away thinking, oh, they must be okay. And, uh, and they smile, you smile, and you go your separate ways. But Ahaz doesn't believe God. He believes in God, but he don't believe God. Therefore, as a result of that, Isaiah goes on to say something else. Verse 15, and that brings us to number four, the sign. The sign. And he said, Hear ye now, O house of David. Is it a small thing for you to weary men? But will ye weary my God also? Isaiah says to King Ahaz and to the whole house of David that he represents. Really? Are you for real? God said ask for a sign and you're not going to do it? You're willing to say to God, my faith doesn't need to be stronger. I don't need God's encouragement. I got it. I'm okay. Really? Really? That's going to be your response? Isaiah said to the king and addressing the wider sphere of the whole Davidic house or all the kings under David. That's an important reference. We'll come back to it. Therefore, here's the part you'll know. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. 
Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and thou shalt call his name Emmanuel. Butter and honey shall he eat, that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. The Lord invites King Ahaz to ask for a sign to validate the truth of God's protective care. He refuses. You have then in this moment in the text of Scripture a phenomenal shift. And once you see the shift, you will, I trust, never forget it. God, by his prophet, continues to address the unbelieving Ahaz. But the shift of emphasis comes as the particular address of verse 13 is to the house of David. See it? And Isaiah said, Hear ye now, O house of David. Ahaz is still there. Ahaz, in some sense, is still being addressed. But now the prophetic word comes to this broader element of nomenclature, namely the house of David. And when the house of David is mentioned and brought to bear in the text, when it is addressed, it alerts us to the fact that God is now thinking about his promise to David generations before concerning a son to sit forever on the throne. 2 Samuel 7 is where God promised David a forever Davidic throne. Ahaz, by his lacking faith, makes it clear to us, in retrospect, he's not going to last very long. He's not going to be perpetuating uh, the throne uh, of David uh, in a serious kind of way going forward after his lack of faith in God. But nonetheless... The prophet then, in shifting his emphasis away from Ahab the man and shifts his emphasis to, oh, house of David, then you have the pronunciation of a sign concerning a virgin birth. The context would demand that we view the sign as miraculous. And certainly directed to Ahaz, but more than Ahaz, to the house of David. Hebrew scholars, of which you know I'm not, but Hebrew scholars are careful to tell us that at verse 13, you not only have the readdress of focus, name focus, from Ahaz to the house of David, but that all of the verb tenses shift from singular to plural. Now, I don't see that in the English text. And I can see it in the Hebrew text after somebody told me it's there. But uh, the scholars are careful to note the fact that you not only have here the readdress of a little different focus of this second element of what God's going to do with his sign after Ahaz refused to give his sign, uh, that, but also you have a shift in, in, uh, in uh, uh, pronouns from the singular uh, to the plural, giving further indication that this particular uh, uh, virgin birth prophecy has something to do with Ahaz, but it has more to do with someone else. Someone else connected to 
the house of David, like a son of David, yet future. The sign could be natural or it could be a supernatural thing, as is, is the case in this regard. The most literal rendering of verse 14, therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. God shall call his name Emmanuel. People don't call his name Emmanuel. God calls his name Emmanuel. The most literal rendering of that prophetic word is this. Quote, the virgin is pregnant. She will have a boy. He will be called God with us. The most literal rendering, the virgin is pregnant. She will have a boy. He is to be called at God's instruction, God with us or Emmanuel. Now the attention getting word behold, verse 14, stresses the supernatural element of this prophecy, not the natural element. The article specific term virgin in the Hebrew text, the English text says a virgin, the Hebrew text uses a definite article that we would translate today, the virgin. There is a particular virgin in mind, and you know her name. God has a particular virgin in mind. That is the element of prophecy connected back to this Addressee, the house of David. Emmanuel describes the name God with us. That is the word that describes the local case of Judah under Ahaz, as Isaiah had already communicated. Listen, you're going to be all right because God is with you. You're going to be all right because God is protecting you. But the sign, this sign to the house of David, is grammatically far more reaching in its specific ramification than to the generation in Judah under Ahaz. The boy that is to be called Emmanuel, or God with us, is going to be raised in a time of national calamity. Now, very seldom, and I would say including Matthew, Matthew did not include verse 15 in the prophecy of Messiah. But I'm going to. And most Hebrew scholars today of an evangelical persuasion with a high view of the Bible would include the 15th verse in the prophecy of Messiah. Let's see what it says. Butter and honey shall he eat, that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. Butter and honey sounds like the diet of somebody that's got money. Sounds like a rich man's table. Why? We are so well off at the teal house, 
that all we eat is butter and honey, fat and sugar. Yeah! Bring it on, baby! Fat and sugar! I love it, don't you? Oh, don't look at me like that. Some of you are like, oh, no, we eat nothing but low flat at our house. Well, good for you. I'm happy. But butter and honey, that sounds good to me. Sounds good to me. But it's really not so good because the idea here is, is that you have in Israel, uh, in the days of Ahaz, you have farmers that have planted their crops and their grain is growing and everything is happening as people are active in the agricultural cycle and then all of a sudden there's going to be a destruction of all that and uh, all the farmers fields are going to be wrecked and all the crops are going to be lost and uh, the fields will be left to go fallow. And when the field goes fallow, we call it a pasture. What is it good for? Put the cows out, put the pigs out, put the sheep out. Pasture land, let them eat the grass, let them eat the weeds, let them eat whatever they want to eat. Pasture. What else can we say about pasture? Well, pasture is not only that which produces milk and butter, but pasture is what produces honey because the wildflowers that come up when the farmer's fields cannot be planted produces the aspect of good, ripe things for bees to collect. And as a result of that, the pre predominant thing produced when a nation is under war conditions is milk and honey. Uh, you and I are seeing in the modern world a replay of this very thing. Ukraine was one of the largest grain-producing nations in the world in recent years. And as they have been attacked, and as war times come, the farmers are not able to get their grains out of the field. They will not be able to replant. They will not be able to save what they have planted. And the fields that have been cultivated will soon return to pasture land. When they are, livestock becomes the only way that a farmer can make a buck. And so as a result of that, there'll be a lot of milk. And because of the wildflowers, there'll be a lot of honey. And so Ukraine will have an abundance of butter and honey as a result of the war conditions that are perpetrated against them in our modern era uh, because of Russia. So you have a replaying of the kind of thing that happens. And this is telling us in verse 15 that during the days of Messiah, that Israel will not be in charge of her own affairs, that the ravaged nation will have somebody as a despot over her. And indeed, it wasn't the Syrians, ultimately, that would affect and negatively impact Judah. But indeed, Judah would fall to the Babylonians. And I remind you that when our Lord Jesus Christ was born... Israel was under Roman rule and were in no way were they under their own auspices to function. And so verses 14 and 15 in that sense go together. Then you have another shift in the Hebrew text back to the singular. And it says, for before the child shall know to refuse evil and choose the good, a land that thou abhorrest shall be forsaken of both her kings. 
The boy that is called Emmanuel or God with us will be raised during a time of national calamity, verse 15. The idea behind the description of eating butter and honey explained. Indeed, history records that within two years from the point of this prophecy, Tiglath-Pileser would defeat both Israel and their partner in crime, Syria, while Sheer Ashab was but a young boy. What am I saying? What am I saying? Here's what I'm saying. Verse 15 refers to the prophecy of Messiah. The child of verse 16 is Isaiah's kid brought along for an illustration. For behold, or before the king shall know to, before the child shall know to refuse evil and choose the good, the land that abhors shall be forsaken of both her kings. And indeed, before Isaiah's son, Shear Ashab, was two years old, uh, God's fulfillment of prophecy, God is with us. Syria, Israel, not be allowed to come against Judah. And in fact, what did happen was Tiglath-Pileser attacked Israel, and, and uh, as a result of, uh, of, uh, of advance of the Assyrians, uh, Israel was no more. So you have a double prophecy, and you have a double sense of, of fulfillment. Thus the prophecy of God with Judah stands on its own, but the implications of the prophecy to the house of David awaited their fulfillment. And interestingly, in this same text back at verse 8, we read it, but I didn't comment on it. In this particular prophecy, you have in verse 8, the head of Syria is Damascus, the head of Damascus is Rezin, and within three score and five years, three score and five years, within 65 years shall Ephraim, or Israel to the north, be broken, that it be not a people. Confirming the fall of the nation of Israel to the north, in 722 to the Assyrians. Now, for the sake of time, I'm not going to ask you to turn anymore in Isaiah, but the next logical place would be Isaiah chapter 9, 6, and 7, where you read a further indication of the child to be born is the son to be given. A child to be born is the son to be given. This child to be born, Isaiah 7, 14, is the Son of God to be given, Isaiah 9, 6. And so Matthew 22, 23 declares that the prophecy of the child to be born and the Son to be given is fulfilled in the birth of Jesus to the virgin Mary. We know and are convinced of God's spirit that Jesus was God with men as man. He is the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Emmanuel was the message to Ahaz that God was with the nation of Judah Emmanuel is the name of the virgin son named by God as God with man or God with us. And Matthew's point, Matthew chapter 1, 
22-23 is that God not only is with us, but here's the good news, God is for us in Jesus Christ. And on that basis, and on that basis alone, you and I have met together to worship King Jesus this morning. Father, help us to see the connection between a worshipful heart and the prophecy of old and the fulfillment in King Jesus. Help us to be a responsive people throughout this day, throughout this coming week. We do pray in Jesus' name and for his blessed sake. Amen.